we're kicking off a new series today, and the series is called God and Sex. And so um, we are doing things a little bit differently uh, today. So um, one of those things that I'm doing is I'm going to sit in a chair, which I've never done before. Like, what is going on? This is to get me to not preach, get preachy, you know. I don't want to get all preaching, preaching going. We might do that a little bit later. Uh, I also have paper notes. First time at Mosaic, I've had paper notes. And uh, we are going to dive into a serious topic. Uh, so we are not going to have discussion questions today. So normally, uh, welcome those of you that are new. Super thankful that you're here. Um, we normally do a discussion time a couple minutes into the sermon as well. And we're not going to do that for this series. Um, and to give you, uh, and our small groups as well, will not be discussing the God and Sex series. And I'll give you some of the reasons behind that uh, as we go. Um, there, we're going we're gonna to start in the series today, uh, April 23rd. We're going to do it for um, three weeks. Then we're going to skip uh, Mother's Day. Just felt weird. Uh, so we're going to do a normal Mother's Day type uh, service that day. Uh, and then the week after Mother's Day, I believe, is May 21st. And that'll be week four of this series. Um, there's a real risk involved with this series. There's a real risk involved with talking about God and sex uh, as a series. One, one of those things is uh, we, we just have a lot of momentum right now as a church. Uh, for those of you that missed it last week, um, we, we had 100 people here. We had 100 people uh, at, at our one-year anniversary. Uh, that's the most people we've ever had uh, by far. Easter was the week before. We had 85 people here. It's not about the numbers, uh, but there is something about the sustainability of a church plant. There's something about the fun energy of having that many people in a room watching people get baptized. There's excitement around uh, what God is doing at Mosaic Church. Uh, I, I believe, uh, oh, by the way, we mentioned this last week, we've seen 20 people make decisions uh, to put their faith in Jesus since we've been around as a church. And we can clap for that. We can clap for that. Um, and we've gotten to baptize 10 people. Uh, one of them was Craig up here uh, last week, which was so awesome. So why at this point in our church history would we approach a subject that today in 2023 is tearing apart churches? Like it's tearing apart denominations where people are going, oh, that's your stance on that. I'm out. I'm leaving. And so, so why would we address it? I know a lot of churches that don't address it. They intentionally don't talk about sex uh, because they, they, don't want to, they don't want to fracture their church. Uh, but I'm going to tell you some of the reason why we are addressing it. Um, I was addicted to pornography throughout my whole adolescence while at the same time attending church three days a week, Sunday morning church, uh, Sunday night church, youth group. I was very involved in my youth group, Sunday night youth group, Wednesday night youth group, all the camps, uh, retreats, and nobody ever talked about pornography just because it was a subject that seemed like it would, I don't know why they didn't talk about it. Um, some of it is because it was, it was new on the scene as far as, I'm, I'm 40, so this was the mid-90s when I was hitting adolescence, hitting middle school, uh, late 90s for high school, 
And I think in my church, there was this assumption that good Christian kids uh, wouldn't be looking at pornography. So we just won't, we just won't talk about it. Uh, but I was really hurting. I didn't want to look at it. I was addicted to it. I was really hurting. And I always wonder if somebody at my church had talked about it and I had someone I could just reach out to for help, for community, for accountability, how that could have altered the trajectory of my life if my church had had the courage uh, to talk about, about pornography. Uh, I was hurting, and people today are hurting. So Satan does not want us talking about sex because he wants us to stay hurting, and he wants us to stay uh, isolated. I believe that this subject is one of the greatest areas of pain and confusion out there for both uh, for, for married people, for divorced people, and for single people. Um, for singles, so, some of the pain is obvious in, in, a, in a Christian setting, and we'll talk more about this in future weeks. I'm not going to dive into this today, but in Christian settings, we're taught to save sex until marriage, and you're single, and you go, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with with my, you know, my desires and all these kind of things. And, and we often look at marriage as if it's, it's, as if it's the solution, as if it's the promised land. And, 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 and uh, I was sort of raised that way. Did you know that uh, research shows that 15 to 20% of marriages are sexless? Sexless marriages, 15 to 20%. That's an awfully high number. Uh, I, I've written a book called Beyond the Battle, and uh, I do groups through the book. It's a book about sex. And I, I tell you that to tell you that what I do um, sort of on the side for ministry is I counsel men through the book. And we have, a, we have co- regular community and we, let me just tell you, I'm used to going really deep, um, particularly with men when it comes to sex and, and uh, our struggles, our temptations, and the way that this, this topic has, has fractured, has really fractured our lives. And I know the deep pain the deep pain that men and women experience in marriage, the deep pain. So don't act like marriage is a promised land where all these problems get solved. They really just get amplified, and there's more on the line. There's much more collateral around. And so this is a really, really, really important, uh, important subject. Um, sex in our culture today is seen as a, it's like a handshake. I mean, if, if, you, if you look at the stats today, and I won't get into them today, what, I'll give you one quick one that, that I, I, I looked up and put in Beyond the Battle. Um, this was a Match.com survey. They do a survey of singles every year, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, so I, I'm pretty sure this is right. I, I didn't have this in my notes, um, but I've written on this in the past. 35% of millennials, that's my generation, I believe millennials is something around if you're in your mid-20s to your early 40s, 35% have had what's called interview sex, which is uh, sex before the first date. So it's, uh, hey, I'm not sure if I want to go see Super Mario Brothers with you or not. Let's have sex first to see if we're compatible, and then we can go on our first date, okay? So 35%, you guys, I don't say that judgmentally, if any of you have been in that, in that situation. Um, I do say that that's a really, really far off from God's design for sex. And for our teens, which is why I wanted our teens in here with us, and for our young adults, um, 
you've been raised that that's normal. You're, you've just been raised like basically humans are animals. And we'll talk about that when we get into 1 Corinthians 6. I mean, literally, that's a quote from 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and 13, uh, which we'll get into next week. But this idea, listen to like, go to the top 40, whatever genre you want, country music, rap music, pop music, and you hear them talk about sex, and it's like we're animals. There literally was a song by Adam Levine a few years ago called Animals, and it was about, it was disgusting. It was like about a man stalking a woman, and it's very predatory, and yet we're like, oh, that's so awesome. That's such a great song. It's disturbing. Uh, y- you are not to have the same sex life as an animal. It's, you're not. God didn't, God didn't create us um, that way. And so um, we act like there's no ramifications to that in our culture, and there is. And I've experienced them in my own life. I've experienced ramifications in my own life of being conditioned in a, within a culture that's taught me that and has taught, has taught us that. So this is one of the most difficult parts of our discipleship. If I were to have a pie chart of all the issues that I struggle with, uh, this would take up the most of my pie chart. But if you look at the issues that churches actually talk about, this is probably talked about the least in our pie chart. That's messed up. That's Satan winning, in my opinion. We have to talk about real issues because it's real discipleship that really, uh, really matters. Um, there, there's a controversy today about human sexuality, and uh, when, I, when I use the acronym LGBTQ+, most of you know what that means, uh, but I'm going to break it down for you if you don't. Uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and then a plus for other uh, identities that people may have. There's a huge theological controversy in the church today that's tearing apart churches. What I first want to do is, we're going to address that in a few weeks, but I want to take that controversy and if I had another table, I'd move the controversy and I'd put it over here for a second, but I don't. I don't want to drop my tea, so I'm going to leave it here. But I want to remove that for a moment and tell you that the, the heterosexual mindset for sex, heterosexual means men and women together, the heterosexual mindset for sex is so far off from God's design in Scripture, and it's having devastating effects. And so for me as a pastor, I need... I need to hear this. I need our teens to hear this. I need our young adults to hear this. I need our new Christians to hear this. I need those that we are getting up here and baptizing to hear this. And those that aren't here, I'm going to send them this message. Be like, I need you to hear this because this is part of our discipleship. When we get baptized, when we get saved, we are repenting of our sin. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to have lots of stumbling and falling, but we're repenting of our sins. We're saying, I actually don't want to obey myself anymore. I want to obey God. I want to follow Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you will, you remember, obey what I command, right? And that's a part of our discipleship, and we stumble, and we fall, and there's grace. Um, But there's longtime Christians, and sometimes it's pastors and theologians and authors and bloggers and podcasters, and we are arguing about theology, human sexuality theology, to the point that churches won't even address sex at all. So churches are going, we're not talking about that. We're not getting near that subject because we don't want to fracture our church. So we aren't going to teach new Christians and struggling Christians what God's design for sex even is. Or 
we talk about this phrase called purity culture, which again is a blogosphere, podcast sphere, uh, book sphere phrase, and the damage that it did. I was raised in what's now called purity culture. We may get into some of that uh, in, our, in, our, in our, 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 our series. I don't have time to unpack it for you right now. Uh, oh, and another reason we're not doing discussion questions, because you know what, Joel? These sermons are going to be long. They're going to be long, so you just get ready. Get comfortable. Yes, brother. So we got to get rid of those discussion questions because I need all the time I can, I need all the time I can buy. We're getting rid of all the worship songs. We're just no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I don't have time to unpack purity culture right now. But it did it did a lot of damage. It did it did a lot of damage. Um, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit today. But the, the problem with the reaction, we're pendulum people. It's just human nature. So purity culture did a lot of damage, and, and purity culture shamed a lot of us. It shamed a lot of people about sex. And, and as a result of that shame, the pendulum did what? What do pendulums do? Whoop, over here. And it's like God didn't talk about sex at all. Don't, don't talk about sex. Don't talk about God's design for sex because that's purity culture. No, it's just Bible. Bible says a lot about sex. And again, I, there, there was an analogy uh, that I heard years ago about sex, and it's like a fire, and fire is really good and really, really important. And in fact, in, it, even, even today, but in other cultures, uh, fire you, was necessary for life. Fire is what warmed you. It was the only way to get warmth. Imagine living in, in Michigan back in the day <laughs> with no heat, with no, you, you would need fire literally to warm you so you wouldn't die. You would need fire to cook your food so you could eat. And fire is beautiful. Fire in a fireplace on a real wood logs, it's one of my favorite things. But it's contained in the right atmosphere, the right environment, the right boundaries, correct? When you build a, a bonfire, you, you, might, you put rocks around your bonfire. You put it in a metal bowl. You do things specifically to contain the beautiful, life-saving, nourishing fire. Fire also is extremely dangerous. Google California wildfires and see what you find. Uh, fire fire would, would destroy this whole building if we let it. It would destroy your home if you let it. It will kill you. It will literally kill you if you let it. And it's, it's the same miracle of God, fire, in both of those places. Honestly, I think fire is a miracle. You think about, again, we're, we're not impressed with fire anymore or the sun. Or, can you imagine like seeing fire for the first time? This orange flickering amazing. Like This is so cool that God gave us this literally to be alive. Um, sex is similar to fire in that way. But when we take it out of the boundaries and context that God put it in that are necessary, it causes a lot of damage. And I also want to acknowledge the damages in this room, the trauma that most all of us have faced in one way or another when it comes to sex. You're not alone, and we don't take that trauma lightly here. And, and, and we want to walk alongside of you through that trauma. But even that trauma and the, the representation of it in the room that we've experienced is evidence of the ramifications of our culture uh, and now even the church um, thinking that it's okay to live like, to, for, for our culture to, to, sh to, to teach values that you can do whatever you want. And when someone's doing whatever they want, somebody else is hurt by that. Someone is victimized by someone else's selfish doing whatever they want. So this is the culture that, that we have. Um, so it's really important that we talk about this. Um, this is going to be different than your family. And I, I, want to, I want to honor your family. 
I want to honor the family that God put you in and that you were raised in. Um, and, 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 and I want to honor the good of your family. There's a lot of bad in all of our families, but I want to honor the good. But when it comes to sex, um, for many, many, many of us, our families taught us different things than God wants us to live out as Christians. In the first century, uh, families were divided because people were following Jesus, who was God in the flesh, and it was in a Jewish culture that believed that was the most blasphemous thing you could have, would be a carpenter walking around saying he was God, saying he was the Messiah. And literally, Jesus says, you're going to have to choose between your family and me. Families are going to be divided because you're going to, when you start following the ways of Jesus, it's going to be so different than your family's culture, uh, their, their values, that your family is going to kick you out. They're going to disown you. Now, I pray that none of your families disown you for your Christian faith. But the point should be heard that our sex lives as Christians who have made Jesus the Lord of our lives. You guys know what Lord means, by the way? Lord means king. It means ruler. It means boss. So when we baptize someone, we say, have you made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. Okay, so when we made Jesus the Lord of our lives, our sex lives are going to look different. Our relationship lives are going to look different than our families. And it's important that we, that we get ready for that and that we can even point to our families. Uh, heritage and legacy sometimes and say, okay, that's not of God. God wants to use me to stop what the Bible calls generational sin and redeem it and start a new line, a new family line for my kids and their kids and or uh, those around me that are, that are watching me. All right, next, we have to agree that we believe in grace, okay? So if I said, raise your hand, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Humor me. Give me the Jesus answer. Raise your hand if you believe in grace. Everyone should raise their hand. Yes, I believe in grace. I believe in grace. I believe in grace. Amen. Okay, what that means is we're not talking about your past. That's where purity culture really got it wrong. We're not talking about your past. Grace means your past has been forgiven if your faith is in Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. That's what salvation is. You're forgiven of your past. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you've done. And you're, you're, you're not broken. You're not I, I, again, I don't have time to get into even some of the analogies that were given to us in that context. You're not broken. You know why? Jesus made you whole, and he made me whole. We are all sinners in need of grace, and when we receive grace, we are made whole. We are made whole, and it's not about the past. We're talking about God's design for sex because we all have a future, and whether we're single, divorced, or married, we all have a future walking with Jesus, and I want to give you some of the why behind God's design for sex. A guy at my church in Lansing planted a church uh, prior to this and, um, and talked about sex, and he said that was really helpful. All I've ever heard in church was that sex was bad, basically, or sex is bad, you know, maybe save it for marriage. Uh, don't do that. It was a lot of don't do that. He said, this is the first time I've ever heard any reason why I would do anything that you said in your sermon. And so some of that we want to give you is some of the why, some of the why behind God's design uh, for sex. But, but know that you are forgiven, and that is what grace is. And all of us, all of us that believe in grace, all that means is we're all broken and messed up and sinful. And we've all believed in the same Jesus to make us whole. And if I believe in Jesus to make me whole, and you come to me and say, I need, I, need, I need grace, I need a savior. 
I need someone to make me whole. Like, welcome, me too. Like, let's do this together, you know? That's the church. Okay, when we don't talk about human sexuality, when, when we talk about sex, if you're in a church setting that says, we are not going near LGBTQ plus the topic, we're just not going to talk about it. Uh, that does a couple of things. It, it makes gay, lesbian, and trans people feel invisible when the church doesn't talk about it. And I've had conversations. With, I know this. And, and, the, and, and the research and surveys show this. Even if it's a disagreement of position, they say, if you don't talk about it ever, it just makes me invisible. You act like I don't exist. And I, again, I got to be careful of my time. Um, when churches hide it, when they hide it, when they don't talk about human sexuality, they're really just being dishonest about it. So people in their churches that are struggling with their own sexuality and orientations and attractions don't know where their church stands. And they want to just know so they don't have to guess. And it's just, it's dishonest and disrespectful to those in the LGBTQ plus community when churches don't share what's, uh, what... Uh, the, the church's stances or the interpretation of scripture is that this church um, believes in. So the next thing I want to say for those in the room and those watching online, let me, let me tell you this. Uh, I will wager any, uh, you know, coffee from our coffee bar. Um, I'll wager any, uh, what else can I wager? That's not money. Um, I'll wager you, come up with a good, a good wager. Um, these sermons will be the most watched on our YouTube channel of any sermons that we do. Okay, um, trust me, they will be, they will be, uh, they just absolutely will be, because people, people are are um, thirsty to know this stuff. And let me say this too about about teens. This is true for everybody. Um, your kids are gonna look this stuff up on Google. Okay, they're already talking about it with their friends at school. Um, it's come on, look back to your childhood. You think things have gotten better? They've gotten worse. Kids are getting cell phones now at age six. It's not a matter of time before the porn finds them on the phone. Hey, this is our kids' sex education nowadays. So we have to talk about it in church. We have to at least give, give our kids and ourselves an option to say, at least make it multiple choice. To say, you learned this on Google and this from your friends. Here's God's way. This is a, this is a different way. This is a way that, that brings life and wholeness. And Okay, but... Um, the people in the room with you right now, just look around for a minute. The people in the room with you, and, and, and think of your, the core mosaic people that aren't here, people watching online that can't be here today. I promise you, and again, people of different races, we're a church, we're an anti-racist church. I, we, we are gathering, literally, read our mission statement. It's on one of these. Where is it? Over there. Mosaic exists to be a multi-ethnic church living out Jesus' kingdom values, bringing racial equity and gospel freedom to the city of Grand Rapids. We gather for that. We gather for that. And we gather for that under the scriptures and under the gospel. I promise you, because I know, I know for a fact, some of the different views that some of you hold when it comes to human sexuality and your personal theology and interpretation of scripture on it. And you don't all agree. You don't all agree. So last week, we had 100 people in here. We're rocking. We're baptizing Craig. We're doing a cookout. You didn't all agree on a human sexuality question. You didn't. You didn't agree on Easter when we were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus and we're rocking it in here, and we're celebrating, and we're seeing people get saved, you did not all agree on the human sexuality question. So when we address human sexuality over these next few weeks, guess what? You're not going to all agree. 
You're not going to all agree with me. You're not going to all agree with the person next to you. So I want you to understand that those disagreements already exist and we figured out a way to be united as a church despite that. You haven't left Mosaic because of that. So when I lay it out, there's no way that everybody could agree with me because you don't all agree with each other. And I think that's pretty normal in churches today in 2023. And if you're not in the blogosphere and the bookosphere and the podcastosphere, trust me, it's very diverse. <laughs> it's very, very diverse. Um, but my point is you haven't left the church and we weren't agreeing and you have plenty of reason you want to be here for what we are trying to accomplish as a church. So I'm asking you to stay. I'm asking you to stay. I'm inviting you to meet with me for coffee. I'm inviting you to meet with me for lunch. I'm inviting you that we can talk deeper and deeper. I'm inviting you to stay. But I think both sides, if there were two sides, are going to find nuances that you can affirm biblically from what I'm going to lay out in the next few weeks. I firmly believe that both sides are going to find nuances of what we lay out, and you're going to say, I can get behind that. I'm often asked which side I'm on. I'm thankful for this series because I don't have to write like an eight-page email now. I can just send a sermon link. <laughs> I'm often asked, what side are you on? As if there's two sides to the human sexuality theology. People are surprised to find out there's more than two sides to the human sexuality theological question. There's more than two sides. And we're going to talk about that. But my hope and prayer is that you hear what I lay out from Scripture and from my heart and from our overall mission, and even if you don't fully agree, that you say, uh, I, can get, I can get behind that. Um, I always like to start with my story. I think I'll, I'll have to get more into my story next week because um, I, I just have a lot I still want to cover in this intro. It's important. You guys feel my heart here, right? Why I'm taking the time like this to do this. Um, and maybe you're not. Maybe you're like, what's he doing this for? This is easy. This is simple. Honestly, you're, you're a little out of the loop, <laughs> if that's your thought. It's not easy and simple. And uh, we have a lot of people that we're called to love as a church. Amen? You know, you know who we're called to love as a church? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. 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 Yeah. We're going to talk about that. All right, so a little bit of my story. I'm going to give you like the really fast-forward version. Um, I started looking at porn in middle school. I love Jesus. Uh, I, I didn't want to look at it. I got caught up in it. I didn't have anyone to help me. Uh, that really, really twisted my mind of how I, how I viewed women, how I viewed sex. That's what porn does. Uh, it's called objectification. We're going to talk more about that in future weeks and how to unlearn that. Uh, we're not objects. Women aren't objects. Men aren't objects. I'm not an object. You're not an object. This water bottle... It's an object. I'm about to throw this water bottle out. You know why? That spring doesn't work out anymore. Sometimes it leaks. It's got a big dent in it. I'm too cheap, so I hang on to it. But this thing needs to go. Someone buy me a new water bottle. I want a nice one, a big one that I can dishwash, okay? I'm too cheap to buy one for myself. This is an object. When I'm done with it, guess what I'm going to do with it? Throw it in the trash. Maybe I'll recycle it if they'll recycle it. When I'm done with this cup, guess what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to throw it in the trash. Guess what porn teaches us to do with human beings? When we're done with them, we throw them in the trash. 
I'm going to consume you. I'm going to consume the contents I want from you. I'm going to throw you in the trash. Not just while we're looking at porn, but when we see people in real life, when we interact sexually. It's a huge, huge problem, that, and that problem is in my head. And we're going to talk about that more next week. Romans 12, 1 to 2, what does it look like for my mind and my heart to change, to not conform to what porn taught me? but to my mind to be renewed and transformed by God and by the scriptures. Uh, I don't have time to get into how that's affected my marriage, but it's affected my marriage. There's been huge ramifications of that uh, in my marriage that I have to daily unlearn what love even is, learning what love is. I didn't think I even knew what love was when I got married. Uh, and I, I, I still thought love and sex was a very selfish act. Um, that's not what love is. We're going to talk more about that. Uh, but I want you to know that, that this is my story and that as I help others in this story, uh, I'm, helping, I'm helping myself. Um, I, 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 our culture tells me to act on my feelings, to act on my desires, and to act on my attractions. And I want to tell you that the walk of carrying my cross is to deny myself and to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. So culture says, act on my feelings, act on my desires, act on my attractions. And Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. The scriptures say that self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And a nuance of the series is whenever I say statements like that, I know some, not all, but some in the room or watching online are going to say, oh, he's talking about gay people there. No, I'm talking about myself there. Culture tells me to follow my feelings and my desires and my attractions. And I have to pick up my cross and follow Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to teach me self-control. I'm talking about people here. We are all in the same boat uh, when it comes to what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, this is the key to marriage. I can tell you that if I followed my desires, my feelings, and my attractions, Lord help us all. There would be no Mosaic Church. There would be no Philippiac family. My kids would have never been born. And uh, unless I had gotten tired of it like the prodigal son, I'd still be living a very promiscuous life. And, and, and in the church, we would, look, we, would, we would be, oh, wow, he really fell from grace. It'd be a, as normal of a life as people live in our culture. I, I would just be finding women to sleep with and date kind of casually until I got tired of them or they got tired of me and on to the next one and on to the next one and on to the next one. That's what, that's what my feelings, desires, and attractions tell me to do. None of this would be here if I followed my feelings, desires, and attractions. Praise God that we're called to something higher than that. For all of us, Amen. Praise God that we're called to bring life to this world. We're called to bring light to this world, to show the world that we can be made whole in different ways than following our feelings, our desires, and our attractions. And when we do, we, we, we're surprised by God's love. We're surprised by how it can satisfy us. I think there's three types of people. Can you guys click for me? There we go. Uh, I think there's three types of people when it comes to what I'm calling sexual brokenness. Uh, there's, the, there's the first type of person, those who don't suffer from sexual brokenness. Uh, praise God. Praise God that you're out there. Uh, I'm, I'm skeptical that you exist, but praise God for you. Honestly, 
If you like, I don't struggle with nothing. I'm just good. I'm I, da, da, da. pray. Praise God for you. Um, and I'm going to define even what I mean by sexual brokenness here in a minute. Uh, there's a second type of person: those who struggle with sexual brokenness but pretend like they don't. Okay. So, so for some, there's two types in this cat in this category. So, but 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 you're burying it. You're hiding it. And for some, not all, there's like part of this camp, it's straight hypocrisy. You're like, yo, I'm a Christian, yo, 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 Jesus, Jesus, but I'm doing whatever I want in my sex life. And, I, and, I, and I'm not going to get help. I don't even want help. I don't, I don't need help. I'm good. Okay, that's one, that's one type. But there's another type. It's very, and, and it's just, you're just afraid. There's fear. It's like I have these desires and feelings and attractions. I don't even know what to do with them. I'm sure as heck not going to share it with anybody. I'm not going to share it with my pastor or my small group leader or my friend at church or someone else. I'm just going to bury it inside until the day I die. I'm going to the grave uh, with this. And I, and I think many of us compassionately fall into that category. But there's a lie from Satan that both of those uh, in this camp are believing, and it's that you can control it on your own or that you can fix it on your own. Okay, then there's a third type of person, those who struggle with sexual brokenness, and they talk about it, they get help, they get accountability, and they're real. And this is called the I Need Grace group. Okay, that's my group. I'm in this group. This is the I Need Grace group. This is, and, and, and that's, um, that's, the, that's the group that I live in, that when we talk about it, when we get help, when, when, when we, we, we get accountability and discipleship, and we're not alone, this is where healing can happen. Um, I think sexual brokenness can be defined in a, a, a multitude of ways. I'll give you one example from a conversation I had this week with a very good friend of mine who loves Jesus and is passionate about Jesus and following Jesus and is bisexual, okay? And we're gonna talk more about that probably in week three. I think we're gonna really dive into human sexuality. Uh, and he's married, and he, he's uh, often said to me, I just, my prayer is that I'll only be attracted to my wife, and I'm not. I'm attracted to a whole bunch of people, men and women included, and I just wanna be attracted to my wife. He struggles theologically, you know, like, why doesn't God just change me? Why doesn't God just like, why wouldn't God answer that prayer? You know, I just want to be attracted to my wife. I'm broken. I just want to be attracted to my wife. That's, that's my desire, but my attractions go elsewhere. And it's hard for me to say because my wife's in the room and I love her very much. And um, my desire, I told my friend, is I just want to be attracted to my wife too. That's my desire. That is my heart's desire. If I could have Jesus just boop, touch me and change one thing about me, it would be that. Just make all those other attractions go away. Make the struggle go away. I don't want to be attracted to other women. Like, yeah, but he's attracted to men. Because we have the same desire. We just want to be attracted to our wives. And I said, bro, we are in the same boat. We are still both trying to follow Romans 12, 1 to 2. We just want God to renew our minds. We want to conform to his will, not to the will of the world. He and I are both in camp three, you guys. And I could tell you story after story after story after story. Uh, but it's, I think it's an ambiguous category for a reason. I, if you're married, any problem you've ever had in your marriage, I think could pretty much fall in that camp as it relates to your 
um, to your sex life. I think we all have, um, again, I've, I've counseled many, many men, hundreds of men now, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I have a lot of stories of them uh, and their wives, and, and um, there's just simply stuff that we wish we could control that we don't, and then we have to figure out, is Jesus gonna meet me in this place? So, in the few minutes I have left, um, I want us to turn to um, Mark 5. I'm going to get up now. I'm going to preach a little now. Uh-oh, Josh. <laughs> okay, I don't know if this is working. I would like this to work if we, can, if we can get this clicker working. I don't know if you guys can do anything to make it work, but that would be helpful to me. Um, so, Mark 5, 24 uh, to 34, um, Jesus interacts with a woman that I would call, I would put in the sexually broken camp um, in a different way, in a different way. This woman uh, had a hemorrhage uh, in her female area for 12 years. So instead of a monthly period, it was a 12-month, sorry, a 12-year, 12 12-year 12 hemorrhage. And we're going to talk about some of the implications of that. But imagine the sexual brokenness you'd experience with that type of physical ailment. Physical ailments are included, guys. And many, many in this room carry that burden. And in this culture, uh, it's, it's in a future slide, but it's something you should know in advance, is that in the Old Testament law... Uh, it, it's in, Levit- it's in Leviticus, we'll have the slide up in a minute. Uh, when a woman was having her period, uh, she was considered ceremonially unclean and couldn't go into the temple courts for seven days. Nobody could touch her for seven days. I'm not s- saying that was great, you know, good or a bad thing. It's in the Bible, but it's, it's, it's this ceremonial law that the Jews followed. Um, and and, and Knowing that this woman for 12 years would have been considered unclean, everybody would have known that. Nobody would have touched her. Nobody would have gotten near to her. It's actually surprising she even made her way into this crowd because of the stigma that she would have had, particularly in the religious place. In the religious sphere, the religious people would have said, get her away. She's too sexually broken. She cannot be around us. So verse 24 large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see that people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, see if you can relate to this phrase, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. First off, I want to say, I don't know why Jesus doesn't heal each of us physically 
the way he did this daughter. I don't know why. My friend this week, I just want to be attracted to my wife. I don't know why Jesus doesn't heal him in the same way he healed this woman. But to understand this text and the power behind it, we have to also understand the physical healing and the social and the relational healing that happened to this woman. Or we would miss the miracle if we, if we miss that. And so Leviticus 15, 18 to 33, we're not going to turn there. Uh, if you want some light reading, a nice bedtime story for your children, don't read this to them. <laughs> you know, we give our kids like these kids' Bibles and be like, uh, we should probably X out like a third of the Old Testament. Um, this, is, this is not a, what I want my kids reading at night. But anyway, my point is, this is a whole passage. It's just ceremonially unclean. Anybody who touched a woman uh, in her period, it talks about even sexual, if people are having sex, it was ceremonially unclean. But this woman would have been shunned from the religious community. What's the religious community today, you guys? Religious community in the United States is what? The church, the Christian church. Who has been most shunned in 2023 in the Christian church? Gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, queer individuals. Sexually broken people. Sexually broken people like my friend this week that I talked to. Sexually broken people like myself. The church has shunned. You're too sexually broken for us. This woman was too sexually broken for the religious community. And yet, who did she pursue? Jesus. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher. So do you understand there was something about Jesus that drew this woman to him. There was something about Jesus that drew this sexually broken woman who was shunned by the religious community. There was literally Bible verses, you guys, that told her she wasn't welcome. And something about Jesus drew her to him. Can you let that soak in if you're a longtime Christian? And she goes to touch Jesus. Guys, she touched Jesus. What happens if you've touched someone who's ceremonially unclean? You become ceremonially unclean. She literally made Jesus unclean by touching him. And something about Jesus welcomed her in to do this. What's fascinating, if you look at the first section of the of the this passage, what verse did the miracle happen in? It's in verse 29. The bleeding stopped. We're like, wow, miracle, bleeding stopped. But we see in verse 34, Jesus proclaiming, declaring the official miracle. Verses later, it's almost like it's a second miracle. In verse 34, he tells her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She's Wouldn't she be like, I, already, I know I'm healed already. I'm not bleeding anymore. He declares, now your faith has healed you. Go and be freed from your suffering. Why was she afraid? Why was she trembling with fear? You know why she's afraid? Because she's asking God, am I too dirty for you, God? 
Am I too dirty to be in your presence? Am I too dirty to come to church? Am I too dirty to come before Jesus? And what was his answer to her? Daughter. His answer to her was daughter. 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 The Greek word for healed is the same word for saved. It's the same word. So there's ambiguity. Was she healed here? Was she saved here? Was she saved, healed here? Yes, is the answer. Jesus says to her, daughter, you've put your faith in me. Your identity used to be shunned. Your identity used to be broken. Your identity used to be outcast. Your identity used to be defeated. But your new identity is daughter. You are Jesus's daughter. Come into the family and receive his love and his acceptance. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Which suffering was she freed from? Certainly the physical suffering she endured. But to be a social outcast for 12 years, to think you were too dirty to be before God for 12 years, she's freed from her suffering because now in that religious context, she was allowed in. Jesus is, is paving the way for us in the church of what does it look like to minister to sexually broken people. He says to her, people can touch you now. You can be in the religious community. You are whole. You are precious. This is a powerful message to sexually broken people, myself included, my friend from this week included, you included. Jesus drew the sexually broken to himself. He drew the outcast, the shunned, and he embraced them. He touched them, and he calls them child. And if we, Mosaic Church, are followers of Jesus, we need to do the same. Jesus drew the sexually broken to himself, the outcast, the shunned. He embraced them. He touched them. He calls them child. And if we are followers of that Jesus, that Jesus that's in Scripture, if we follow this Jesus, then we need to do the same. First, we receive the relational healing from Jesus ourselves like this woman did. We come to him and he heals us. And he says, be freed from your suffering. Come into this Jesus community where our identity is in his love for us. Our identity is not in our brokenness, but in our adoption as his child. And then we, his church, become him. We are little Christ. The word Christian means little Christ. And we become him to the rest of the broken individuals in our society. You guys remember my Easter message a few weeks ago. We looked at Matthew 11. And Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. This is our message as little Christs. He says to the woman who is hemorrhaging, come to me if you're weary and you're burdened and I will give you rest. 
My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is his message to you. And it is his message to us as the church. How are we doing? I hope here at Mosaic Church, we can get better. That we can be strong in following Jesus in this way. We'll get into this in this series. This is a big part of my story. And as we, we shift our attention towards communion and we shift our attention towards um, a time of prayer, a prayer invitation for you. I want you to think about this verse. And, and, and for, for many of us that are sexually broken, we are looking to be desired. We are looking for someone who desires us. I, I want to be validated. I want to be desired. I want someone to love me. I want someone to approve of me. And I feel like I can find that in a human. And I go from human to human to human, and I can never find that love, the deep validation love that gives me my value. And Jesus is here saying, come to me, Noah. Come to me, daughter. In Mark chapter 5, child, I am your father. You are precious. You are mine. I will free you from your suffering. I will love you. Be loved by Jesus, and I pray, be loved by the church.